Well, good morning. My name is Josh Powell. Having not been in the pulpit for the last two weeks, I feel like I need to introduce myself again. When I left, I was your pastor, and hopefully I still am. <laughs> Seems so. They let me preach in the first hour. So thankful to be here. And I tell you, having been out, I feel like we need, we got some catching up to do. We come back in the midst of this summer, and we are so blessed by all that is happening and going on here in the life of the summer this week, looking forward to this week, and let's do that. Just Let's catch up for a little bit. Looking forward to this week, we've got uh, events happening in our church. We have our Pine Cove camp here on campus that we're thankful for. I think some of the, the leaders are here. Y'all up there? There you go. That's, that's, that's enough. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and uh, we're thankful for you guys coming in, investing in children here in Life for Church. Really excited about that. We are uh, excited about bacon, biscuits, and the Bible, and, and excited on every level about all three, bacon, biscuits, and the Bible, starts this Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., so we're thankful for that. We hope you can come out and be a part of that as we'll be looking through John chapter 13 uh, and, and some following chapters there of the next six weeks on Wednesday mornings. We'd love for you to come. We consider this Thursday night, our freedom celebration, downtown, opportunity for us in our community to witness to uh, the ultimate sacrifice in Christ, celebrate the freedoms we have, and then point others to Jesus Christ. So we'll be meeting downtown. We'd love for you to come and be a part of that as Pastor Kevin leads the choir and others have worked so diligently on that. We're excited about that. Next Sunday morning, 10 a.m., we will have one service uh, next Sunday morning. It is our desire at least once a quarter that our body comes together all of us together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So next Sunday morning, July 3rd, we'll come together, celebrate. We've got a special dispensation from the Lord that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper for breakfast on Sunday morning. And so we'll be doing that next week together, looking to Psalm 2, as we'll start with Psalm 1 this morning, looking to Psalm 2 and seeing what it teaches us. So many exciting things happening in the life of our church this week. Not only that, uh, consider what's going on. Having not been here over the last uh, two weeks, that takes me all the way back to where I must say something about our staff, our team, uh, and VBS. Man, we had this lower barrel uh, bowl here full of kids just three weeks ago, just full of kids, saw several come to Christ. Uh, Joseph Eskridge, Molly Holder leading us, and then a team of volunteers that did an incredible job that week, and I'm so thankful, and I want to make sure I say thank you for that, uh, all of you, for that leadership and leading out with our children here on our campus. We also then, I spent a week in Anaheim at the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is a weird duck. Not many people understand it, not even us who are in it sometimes. But what we do know is that we come together as independent, autonomous churches. We join together for the purpose of missions, for the purpose of missions and education, so that we can reach farther. And as I've said many times, if we take the Great Commission seriously, then we must take partnership seriously because we know we can't get there by ourselves. We join together with other believers, other churches, others to take the gospel into the deepest, darkest places. And that's what we gather for. My highlight of that Southern Baptist Convention every time is whenever we have a commissioning service. And this year we commissioned 52 more missionary units, if you will, some families, some singles, 52 more to go out into the nations. And that's what we are a part of and why we join together. In the midst of that, you probably heard that we got all kind of issues that we have to deal with. 
issues that come up there, we may not have handled things well, and certainly we haven't. Uh, many of you may have heard about the Sexual Abuse Task Force and seeing those things. I'm thankful that within our structure, we have the ability to address those things, call to accountability our leadership, and implement things that can hopefully make that unthinkable in the future where our churches can be safe and protect all of those that come here to join and hear the gospel from the youngest to the oldest. That is our desire. At our convention this year, we took those steps, and I am thankful for that, and we pray that that continues. I come away all the more thankful to partner with other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention to reach the nations. Thankful. Then last week, we had the opportunity to join with our Regeneration Choir, student ministry at Lakewood Campground, and we saw the Lord do incredible things. I saw our students lead out, lead out in worship services. Pastor uh, uh, George Kuhn down there is a chaplain helping us and letting us really ha do what we can do and, and come in and lead in every way. Uh, Josh Duncan did a terrific job preaching last week and presenting the gospel. Our, our, our kids, our students led in kids clubs. They led in different events. They shared the gospel. They, they did service projects. They did so many things all week, and we are extremely thankful for the leadership that took them for you to make that possible. God blessed us. We saw over 40 salvations last week at Lakewood Campground because of the work that they did. So we praise God for that, and I know you do as well. And then we consider last Friday. I mean, if we're just talking about stuff, we consider last Friday a day, quite frankly, that I thought I would never see in my lifetime, the day that the Dobbs case with the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And so we, we come at this. We praise God in so many ways, for we believe that we fight for life. But what I'm also thankful for is we stand here today as a church that has a testimony that this isn't the time we're jumping in this, that for many years, many years, our church has led the way in our community through our Piedmont Women's Center, through our Mission 127 in foster care, through supporting and wrapping around and taking care of single mothers in our community. Our church has led the way in all of these things. And what we need to understand is while this has happened and something we may not thought would have happened, hopefully it means life for us, right? Hopefully we continue to fight for that, but all the more we need to be a people that live out the great commandment where we love our neighbors and we care for them and we watch over them and we seek to do all we can to fight for life in every way from the womb to the grave. We seek to do all we can to fight for life in every way. And so the encouragement for us is now all the more let's be about people who are fighting for life. And now all the more, let's be the people who takes the words of life to those who need the words of life. And so let's do that in, in our church and continue to do that and continue to pray. Love our neighbor is what God has called us to do. And what we need more than ever before in our society, in our culture, is we need to walk in such a way that honors God. Our, our people, our, us as Christians are being looked at all the more circumspectly to see, are you living out what you say? And so, of course, we must be doing that. We must be living out what we believe, what we preach, what we say in every way. And for that, I ask you to turn with me to Psalm 1, to Psalm 1 this morning. Psalm 1, of course, the Psalms, the, the largest book in our Bible, 150 Psalms have been collected and gathered. The hymn book of the scriptures, if you will. Psalm 1 stands as a gateway into the entire book. 
And so I want us to look at Psalm 1 this morning. Next week, we'll look at Psalm 2 as we gather together around the Lord's Supper. But I want us to look at Psalm 1 this morning. And let's read that together if you can. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, God, as we have walked through all that's going on in the life of our church and in our country. God, we pray that we as a church will be people that continue to, to proclaim the words of life in any and every circumstance and situation. That we'll recognize that Jesus is the hope of our nation and the hope of each and every heart that is in the pews this morning in this place. God, may we see, may we know May we continue to wonder at the beauty of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and follow after him. Follow after him as witnesses to that beauty in a world that is desperate, in desperate need of it. God, thank you for Psalm, Psalm 1. Thank you for the truth that it, it gives us. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, with the Psalms, I'm sure you're familiar with this book. 150 of them are gathered here. Most of them seemingly stand alone. There's several different authors that are there. There's few exceptions you'll see. And, and one exception, I believe, is Psalm 1 and 2. They go together. They fit together. We'll see that next week. But generally, they, they stand alone throughout. But I believe all of the Psalms that have been collected for us are truly interconnected. They weld together a worldview that says God is big and he's enough and he's all satisfying and that we as a people are desperate for him. We have a longing that he can only fill and so this worldview builds it up that God is great, we are not and we are in desperate need of him. And I think Psalm 1 stands as the gateway into the entire book with the opening line, blessed is the man. Blessed is the one here, the psalmist says. He begins with this line for us to understand that this is what this book is about. We're looking for this true blessedness, if you will. We're looking to be blessed in our life. That's what we want. And here I believe Psalm 1 stands as this gateway into all the psalms. Here's how you can be blessed. Here's how you can be blessed. Here's what you are to do. Here's what you're to hold on to. Here's what you're to believe in. Here's what you're to trust. Here it is. Blessed is the man. And everything that follows after it is going to teach us what that means. And in this, we recognize the Psalms have been given to us for our good, to do us good. Blessed here literally means happiness or to be happy. But this is more than we often mean by the word happiness. We've talked about this before. That word happiness for us is surface level sometimes. Our happiness is here today and gone tomorrow. Our happiness can be taken away with us in, in some moment of road rage on the road. We can be singing and happy and somebody pulls out in front of us. Y'all know what that means. Our happiness can be robbed and snatched. So we use that word probably too shallow for what's being said here, here in the Psalms. 
For us, maybe in our language, in our day and context, it may be better for us to understand this as holistic happiness or what I would say as satisfaction. Satisfied is the man. Satisfied is the one. Satisfaction gives some sense of something deeper, something stronger, what I would say something that's, that's settled in, how we are settled in our joy, if you will. We're settled there. Nothing can rob it. Nothing can take it. Nothing can move it away. We have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good and we are satisfied. And so that, in essence, I believe is what the psalmist is saying. How can you be satisfied? Like the idea that you have tasted in something and you need nothing else. You don't need to look anywhere else. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to find something else. What you found in this has satisfied you enough. What you've been longing for. And here I believe the psalmist is laying that out. That's what this means. Satisfied is the man. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the one. And the psalmist then, as he says then, if that's how he begins, everything after that is going to talk about what it means to be satisfied. Where do you find it? Where do you get satisfaction? Where do you get this happiness that the psalmist is talking about? How can you be settled in your joy in a world that is, is trying to steal it and rob it? How can you find that? And here the psalmist begins by telling us. And he doesn't start where we think he's going to start. He doesn't start on the righteousness side. He starts in a different place. He starts with the negative, if you will. He starts with the negative part of it. And this is a, a rhetorical, a pedantic device that he's doing as he teaches. If you're going to learn what it means to be satisfied, let's talk about what it's not first. Let's talk about what satisfaction, where it can't be found, where you can't hold on to it, where you can't grab it. Let's talk about that because oftentimes we start there, right? That's where we begin to look. We look for what we're longing for in places that cannot provide it and cannot give it to us. We look for it in other things. And so the psalmist says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. As the scriptures often do, we see this progression of sin and unrighteousness that is taking place. We're looking for satisfaction, but we begin to look in all the wrong places for it. He says, first, satisfaction is not found or blessedness is not found in walking in the counsel of the wicked. He's talking about where we get our advice from, walking in their counsel. We go and get advice from them. We, we go and look at how we can solve our issues, our problems, life's struggles. We go and see where the meaning is. We find that from the wicked and we walk in their counsel. It comes down to a question of trust. Where do we trust to provide for us what we need to get on our journey to find satisfaction? Who do we trust to listen to? Who do we trust to, to hear? Who do we trust to find that? And what the psalmist says is, you cannot trust the wickedness of the world to find that satisfaction. You walk in it, you hear their counsel, but you're not going to find it there. You can hear the counsel of the world, but you cannot find what you're looking for in that. This becomes this issue of trust. And if you walk in their advice, the worldly advice that they give you, if you walk in their advice, soon you'll begin to stand with them. One who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners. This idea of standing, we know, we use that term ourselves. You have to stand for something or you fall for anything idea. 
Where is it that you plant yourself? Where is it that you put yourself? What is it that you're going to say, here's the guiding principles of my life. Here's what I'm going to trust in. Here's where I'm going to find my, my answers. Here's what I'm looking for. You see, all of us, no matter how great a leader we may be, all of us are being led by somebody. All of us are being taught by somebody. No matter what you may think about discipleship, every single one of us are being discipled by somebody. And so that satisfaction we're longing for, he's saying if you're being discipled by somebody from this world that's not looking to the Lord himself, then you will not find it there. If you make your guiding principles, worldly guiding principles, you cannot find the satisfaction you're looking for there. It's not there. If you go to them for advice, they're not going to lead you to what you long for. If you go to them and, and heed their advice and stand in it, it's not going to get you what you mean, what you hope for. It's not going to provide it for you. But the progression continues. If you continue down this road, not only will you uh, walk in their counsel and stand, but it says you begin to sit in the seat of scoffers. So this progression is seen. You're walking, you're standing in it, and now you become the one who gives advice yourself. You have heard the counsel of the worldly. You have heard the, the counsel of the evil, uh, wicked ones, as it says. And now you've made that your stand. You've made that your place. And now you begin to counsel in that seat as they come up to you and hear from you. You plant yourself right there. And now you begin the one that leads them down that path. So hear me when I say this. All of us are being discipled or led by somebody. And all of us are discipling or leading somebody. It's the way life works. It's why God designed it this way, in essence, that we're to lead others as others lead us because that's what we do naturally. People are going to follow. People are going to look for someone to go. So you, if you're walking down that way of the wicked, if you're standing in that, in that place with the scoffers and you sit there, then you are not only going to be one who's trusting in this worldly advice, trusting in these things, but you're going to be one that leads others to it. And what the psalmist says is, you cannot in any way find satisfaction in those things. You can't find it there. The Bible makes it clear that we are never stagnant. We're never standing still. We're either progressing in this walking, standing, and sitting, progressing this way, or we're progressing the other way. We're moving towards something, and we're moving away from something at all times. We're never just standing in one place. We never just stopped and say, this is where it's going to be. We're always progressing. We're always moving. And it's either moving toward one thing, and at the same time we move toward that, we move away from another. This has been seen in Scripture, by the way. A prime example, we can use Peter, we can use others. But a prime example is in, in the book of Genesis with Lot himself who had every, every right to plant himself and build his house there in the land that God had provided. But he looked, it said, toward Sodom. And he saw what Sodom had to offer. And then he went and he built his house right next to the gates of Sodom. And the next time we see him, he's sitting at the gates giving advice amongst the leaderships of Sodom. You see how he progressed all the way through. And here's what I'm telling you. The ways of this world are going to bring you to themselves. They're going to drag you along on this process. And you're always going to be searching. There's always going to be something else. And there's always going to be something else. And it's going to take you to places you will never want to go. And like Lot, who ended up having to be drugged out of the city as the city was destroyed. So it may be with us. For the Bible says the world is passing away. It is fading. Maybe some of you, and I believe some of you may be on the same path. You may be in this path this morning. Maybe now you're just simply seeking the advice 
of the counsel of the wicked and walking in that. Maybe you've decided you're going to stand right there. You're going to be in that place. This is what you're going to build your life on, these principles of the world. Maybe, maybe you are now the one who is sitting there. You've determined that this is where your life will be planted. This is what you will do. And you're in this path in some way, trusting the things of this world, looking for satisfaction. And you bring it back to trust. We hear this all the time. It may be an issue of trust. Someone has broken trust for you. The church has broken trust. And, and the question comes down to who do you trust? Who do you look to for advice? Who is the one? Where do you get your guiding principles? Where do you look for these things in life? Where do you seek your counsel from? And it may be that trust maybe have broke, have been broken, but it also could be simply rebellion, right? It also could be simply rebellion. As in uh, the idea that we know God is there, but we don't follow his ways. We think we know better. We think we're smarter. We think we're wiser than him. We think we know more than he knows. And whenever he tells us his way, we look and say, that's dumb, I'm going the other way. I'm smarter than you, God. Whatever the case may be, what the psalmist is saying is if you are not on the, or you are on this road that is the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners and the seed of scoffers, if you're on that path, what you are looking for will never be found. The constant teaching of his word is that you will never, ever be satisfied. And you say, well, that's God's word saying that. Shouldn't we expect God's word to say that? Shouldn't we expect God's word to say that unless you follow this word, you'll never be satisfied? Shouldn't we expect that to be the case? I mean, why would it be there if it's not saying that? So you're using this argument to say, of course we should expect it. We can't trust God's word enough because that's what we should expect it to say. But here's what I would tell you. And I stand here today as a preacher of the word saying simply, haven't you proven it to be true? You can say you don't trust God's word, but what about your life? Haven't you proven this to be true? That everywhere you've looked for satisfaction, you, you really haven't found it? Everywhere you've looked for something to hold on to, it really just fades away? Every time you go to grab something this world offers you, it may give you some fleeting moment of joy. It may give you some fleeting moment of happiness, but it doesn't last. And you've tried everything over and over again. And truly, you're like the wise man in the book of Ecclesiastes that you've tried it all, but everything under the sun has become futile to you. Hasn't your life proven it? And I would simply say this, and I believe this with all my heart. That if you're looking for satisfaction from this world, you will never find it. If you're looking for something lasting and longing in this world, you will never grab hold of it. It's not there. We're not made for this world. God has put eternity in every one of our minds and our hearts. And our hearts are filled with longing after him. But we know not what that truly means for us, right? We don't know what that longing is and we don't know what satisfies it until, until we see the breathtaking beauty of our Savior Jesus Christ. We're longing and we're looking and we can't find anything to satisfy it until we come face to face with the Savior who came to us while we were yet sinners, who came for us when we were unlovable and loved us to death, a Savior who came and gave his life for us in our place, did for us what we could never do for ourselves, 
Until we see that Savior who not only died in our place to save us from our sins, but has now adopted us into his family so that we can be called children of God, who has brought us into this family and said, not only have I brought you in, I'm going to bestow upon you all the riches of heaven. They will be heaped upon your head, as Ephesians 2 says. I'm going to give you everything you long for and everything you've hoped for and everything you've seen. Until we see that glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, we're going to keep looking at all this paper satisfaction that cannot truly sustain us, cannot truly give us what we want. Augustine says, You made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace till they rest in you. Everyone in this world has the same longing. Everyone in this world tries to satisfy that longing in so many different ways, from scenic vacations, creative accomplishments, sexual exploits, sports highlights, narcotics, excellence in whatever you do. But what you find in all of these things you try to fill your life with to find longing, none of them are enough. And what I'm saying to you today as Psalm 1 lays this out, as C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, not this one. And what I'm saying to you is that's the case for each and every one of your hearts in this room is that your longing is not for this world. What you are looking for is not found here and cannot be found here. It can only be found in Christ. And the tragedy of this world, as one author has said, is that the echo is mistaken for the original shout. And what we look to is creation and not the creator. What we listen for is the echo that goes through these canyons and see if we can grab onto those when what we should be listening for is the original shout of a Savior who came for us and died in our place. That's what we're made for. And if we look to creation to fill us, if we look for creation to to bring us satisfaction, if we look for all of those things and not the creator, we will continually over and over again be left alone in our sin with no hope, no joy, no blessedness, no satisfaction. But as verse two says, the contrast comes. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that day and night. Here he says, true blessedness is found in delighting in the law of the Lord, his word, his counsel, his wisdom, delighting in that and meditate on, meditating on that day and night. This idea to delight is to find great pleasure. This is like finding, like you're, you're walking or traveling some trail through, through the woods in the mountains somewhere and, and you don't really know where you're going or what you're doing, but you follow the trail and then you get to the precipice and that trail leads to a place. When you get to that, you look out over the beauty of God's creation, a glorious valley that gives you a, a, a glorious view that you can never possibly understand or even come close to describing. And when you find that view, you go back and you bring everything you have and you build your house right there. And you say, this is what I want to look at. Here's what I want to stare at my whole life. Here's where I want to see. This is where I want to have my morning coffee. This is where I want to lay my head down to sleep, looking out over the beauty and the majesty of all of this. And the only reason you ever leave that beauty and majesty is to go get somebody else, tell them about it, and say, come, let me show you what this is. That's what delighting is in this. We find it, we rest there, we go there, and we rejoice in it. We take great pleasure in this. The one who finds Christ has found that. 
like the parables of the great treasure. You, you find that treasure in your field. You go back. You sell everything you got. You buy that field. You find that great pearl. You go. You sell everything out. You buy that pearl. Here's what I found. Here's what can satisfy me, and I don't need anything else. This is enough. That's why Jesus tells the woman at the well, you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. The psalmist says that's the case for all of us who delight in the word of God. We don't look to our counsel from the world. We don't look to wicked or sinners or scoffers. We look to God's word. And there when we delight, we find everything we long for. We find the satisfaction we need. He says we meditate on it day and night. We love it so much we don't ever leave it. And the idea of meditate is simply to rejoice in it, to rest in it, to hope in it, to build your life upon it. That's what we do. And this is progress as well. Because you never get over delighting in God's word. You never get over meditating on it. The more you delight, the more you see the beauty of it. The more you meditate, the more you see the wealth of it. The more you dig in the minds of God's word, the more treasures you find. The more you delight in the beauty of God's majesty, the more glory you see. You never want to leave that. I'm here, and I stay here, and I don't move from anywhere else. This is what I've been longing for. This is what I've wanted. That's why the psalmist can write, I'm going to serve the Lord with gladness. Or satisfy us, Lord, in the morning with your loving kindness that we may be glad all in our, all of our days. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. That's what the psalmist means. That those of us who found the beauty and majesty of Christ, we delight in his word. We meditate on it. We don't leave it day and night. The contrast continues, by the way, here in the passage. The one who delights in the word is like a tree planted by the water, always refreshed. It gets this idea here. He says it's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. It gives this idea that the one who finds and delights in the word of God and in his truth is always refreshed and never dies. The root is always fed by the water that flows by it. So therefore, the roots are strong and found in that, and the fruit is always on display. Those who delight in the Lord will prosper and never die. But again, remember, this is for our good, as I said from the Psalms. He says not only that, in all that he does, he prospers. If we're looking for a prosperity gospel, understand the gospel prosperity comes simply from delighting in the word of God. That's where it comes. It has nothing to do with our circumstances or our bank account. It's had everything to do with where we find our hearts and have our longings been satisfied. It has everything to do with that. This is for our good. This is health. You are planted by the stream of water, always refreshed, always producing, planted there, delighting in God's word, as opposed to those who do not follow. The one who is delighting in the word of God and meditating on it is like a tree planted by streams of water. The wicked are not so. They're like shaft and the wind drives them away. In other words, those who aren't following after him, those who are sitting in, uh, walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing amongst the sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers, those who are doing that are like chaff. They die. They fall off the vine and they're blown away. And if you've ever seen chaff, it's not like a hurricane needs to blow you away. The simplest wind can come along and the smallest breeze can come and just send you away. That's what it's like when you're not trusting in the word. 
If you're trusting in the word, you're like a tree planted by the water. If you're not, you're like shaft that dies, withers, and just blows away. It continues, though. He says there's also judgment that comes. Look at the judgment he says in verse 5. In this contrast, he says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here the psalmist basically dismantles all of the progress that you may think you have made in trusting in the world. The one who has to stand before the Lord will not stand. You were standing earlier, right, in the way of sinners, but not now. When you come before the Lord, you cannot stand before him. Not only that, you were seated seated there amongst those people, but you're not going to be seated in the congregation of the Lord. If you're not trusting in him, if you're not delighting in his word, if you're not seeing the beauty of a savior, you will not be seated in the congregation. You will not stand, you will not be seated, and your way will not lead to life. It will lead to death, as he says, for the wicked will perish. You see, here we understand the scriptures. What I have termed the law of the excluded middle. I don't own that phrase myself. I've heard it before, but I think it's true. When we read the Bible, there's no middle. There's no middle ground. Either you're a child of God or you're not. Either you've been born again or you have not. Either you have a new heart that's been replaced by the Spirit of God and he dwells in, or your heart is dead, as the Scripture says. Either you are on the the narrow path that leads to life or you're on the wide path that leads to destruction. Either you've been adopted into his family or you are still a child of the devil, as John 8, 44 says. There's no middle ground for any of this. Either you're delighting in the Lord and his word or you are not. Either you're finding your satisfaction in the one and the only one that can satisfy you or you are not. There is no middle. All of us in this room are one or the other that this psalm lists out. In this room, every single one of us are either Walking, sitting, standing in the way of sinners that leads to judgment and death, even it says. Oh, we're delighting in the Word of God. Every one of us in this room is in one spot or the other. And the psalmist says the only way, the only way you will find satisfaction is to delight in the Word. Delight in the Word. Clara Williams. Don't know her. She lived a while back. She wrote a hymn. I love the hymn. This is her testimony. She said, all my life I had a longing for a drink from some clear spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, Something that would satisfy, but the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. But the refrain goes this, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings, and through his blood I now am saved. What I'm telling you is this, every single one of us in this room must have this hallelujah moment. When you give up on the husks and the dust and all that this world has to offer and you see the beauty and riches of the living water, Christ Jesus. 
When you say, I'm leaving all of that, and here I have found him, whom my soul so long has craved, Jesus satisfies my longings. By his blood I now am saved. Hopefully, every single person in this room has found their satisfaction in Christ Jesus and seen the beauty and the majesty of a Savior who died for us, rose again, and now reigns and calls us to himself. Hopefully you have had that hallelujah moment where you have seen his splendor and glory and you're not settling for the echo anymore. You're living for that soul cry of the Lord God Almighty, that first shout where he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And that's where you are. If you've been trusting in this world to find your satisfaction, you don't have to tell me. You're tired. You're weary from looking for something you can't find. Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good. I pray, God, this morning that every single person in this room, by the power of your spirit, surely, God, is nothing in me that can conjure this up. It's only you and your spirit that every single person in this room can say that they have found their satisfaction in Christ. God, if they haven't, may this morning they do just that. May your spirit work in such a way now so that you paint the picture of the beauty and majesty of a Savior that they cannot turn away from. That they can taste and see that the Lord is good and know they don't need anything else. That they can drink of the living water which is Christ Jesus and never thirst again. May that be the case of every single person in this room. And if today is the day that they find that hallelujah moment, they find the one their soul so long has craved, God, give them strength enough to testify to that. They see the beauty of Christ. May they come to it and plant their life there today. God, thank you for this moment, this time, what you're doing in the life of our church. All for your glory in Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.